0: This is 1059 the region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. This show is in my view up front, up close and cutting edge. Kurt Browning, you know him, you love him, four-time world champion, no easy feat in the highly competitive and ever-evolving world of figure skating. Kurt is a powerhouse, a -a thrill-a-minute athlete, faster, higher, stronger, and let's throw in four revolutions just for good measure. I will never forget Kurt's stunning achievement at the 88 World Championships in Budapest. He attempted to land the first quadruple toe loop ever seen at this level of competition. He nailed it. Olympic medals, though, eluded the elite athlete, but undeterred, he racked up some pretty impressive victories when he turned pro, three Canadian professional championships, and a trio of world professional titles. Ever the entertainer, he was front and center in blockbuster skating shows like Ice Wars and Battle of the Blades and still wows crowds with his ice interpretation of Gene Kelly's iconic dance in Singing in the Rain. And then there are Kurt Browning's awards and accolades, the Lou Marsh Trophy and Order of Canada 1990, Lionel Conacher, 90 and 91, Canada Sports Hall of Fame, 94, American Pro Skater of the Year, 98, Skate Canada and the World Figure Skating Halls of Fame, 2001 and 2006, respectively, and the recipient of the ISU Skating Lifetime Achievement Award just last year. That brings us to 2021. Kurt Browning, world champion figure skater, highly decorated Canadian athlete, ice entertainer, celebrated sports commentator, television commercial spokesperson, and a really nice guy. Kurt joins us now in conversation. Welcome to the show, Kurt.
1: Thank you, Anna. And I don't think we need to speak right after that beautiful entrance. I think we can just <laughs> say goodbye. It's been great. I don't know what to do after that.
0: <laughs> We've covered it all. <laughs>
1: That was beautiful. Thank you, Anne. That was very kind.
0: Well, you've had a, an amazing career. I want to start with your first time on skates. I think you borrowed your brother's skates and you found yourself on a pond, a safe pond. What was that experience like for you as a little boy?
1: It's it's kind of like a, too long ago for me to actually really I have glimpses of the memory, but it was actually two pieces of plywood that my dad laid down and then sprayed with the garden hose. Yeah. And so it was right in front of the back door and um, I, I, yeah, I think I had my brother's skate leftovers on and um, I was playing hockey with the dog that my dad finally muzzled because the dog kept taking the puck. So I spent most of my time running across the field with my skates on chasing the dog. Um, so he muzzled the dog and then him, the dog and I would play hockey.
0: What was it about skating that kind of captivated this little boy?
1: It was everything physical I was into. I mean, I grew up on the farm, so I would walk all the fences, and I would put mom's watch down and walk the fences and come back and then try it again to beat my time. So I was racing on the fence posts. Uh, like So skating just fit right in. And then when I got older, I think it was the friendships and the individuality of, of the sport, like the show-offmanship, and, and then the jumps. When I started jumping, I was hooked.
0: How did you find the courage to jump. Now, I grew up as a figure skater. Sheldon Galbraith was my coach. He Oh, my gosh, that's yes, amazing. He attached a, a rope to the height, the highest point of the cricket club's uh, ice skating rink, and we used the rope. We hung on to the rope in order to learn how to jump and jump, jump safely. How did you learn to jump?
1: <laughs> I'm trying to picture how that works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For me, I think that uh, it just made sense. I, I have to admit that uh, I was, it came to jumping very quickly. The rotation and the quickness of it and all that stuff, it, it came quickly to me. And, um, and so I didn't really have any harnesses or anything like that or, or ever wear any padding. It, it just was something that made sense to me. So it's like I found my sport and, or my sport found me.
0: And you found your coaches. Uh, I don't know if they, they were your first coaches, but Michael Uranic and his wife—they entered your life, or you entered theirs. What difference did they make to your ice skating journey?
1: Oh uh, well, Michael and Renata were kind of this friendly conduit to what was next, um, because Michael wasn't very pushy. He was—he was very, you know. Mm-hmm on your side, he was always like saying, well, just try it again, try it again, try it again. And and I loved that. I barely stopped to talk to him. I just skated around and he would say something quick and away I would go, um, like a horse going around the pen around, around, around. And, um, and he's still a dear friend of mine and, um, still a part of my life and, and kind of like, you know, it becomes part of your, your, your family. Um, and so many big and so many, Bad things have happened together. Wonderful and and going to the Olympics and having it not work out and that sort of thing. It it really you kind of go to you go to task with each other and you you're either you either come out the other end stronger or or you you break as a relationship. And and he taught me a lot.
0: So from skating on a frozen pond to representing Canada at the Olympics and also capturing four World Championship titles, what was the in between like? We both know, and anyone who <laughs> skates knows, the hours are long, it can be lonely, it's cold, it's it's exhilarating, it's exhausting, but what was that climb to greatness like for you?
1: Climb to greatness, wow. Uh, okay, I I have to tell you that it would be really fun to, to have that time machine that we all covet to be Marty McFly and go back <laughs> in time and, and really experience it again, um, because after this much time, and it sort of becomes stories in interviews, um, but I think I I think I just loved it because at the Royal Glenora Club in Edmonton when I was a teenager becoming, you know, early 20s and, and competing, my peers were such amazing kids, and, I, and I, I find that as I do seminars around the world or as I travel, and and, of course, I'm still skating, so I'm always twice as old as everyone else in the cast, um, skating people are interesting because we're not just athletes. We're also artists, we're dancers, we're performers, actors. And it's just, I think that, that that's, that's why I never got tired of my sport. I never got so frustrated that I ever wanted to quit. Um, there was tough times with back injuries that, that kept sort of coming in at the worst moments of my career and, uh, and, and being a real problem. And, But generally speaking, even though the Olympics didn't work out the way I, I or Canada wanted, uh, I've I've had a gifted, like gifted career. And so um, I look back with fondness, like so much happiness.
0: I understand that you felt that the injury, so there's back and knees and shoulder and twisted ankles, may have cost you an Olympic medal, but that surgery and physiotherapy saved your career. Is that right?
1: Well, I mean, every athlete, especially one that's had a long career like me, is going to have ups and downs. and. Um, you know, Calgary in 88, I was young and, and had a fantastic games, a lot of fun, a lot of partying on electric av- after the competition was <laughs> over, um, being a superhero, wearing that wrong red jacket around Calgary and just being embraced by every Canadian you met. That was a really cool experience. And then Albertville, uh, four years later, uh, my back was bad. six weeks before the Olympics, I couldn't push the clutch down in my truck. Um, I wasn't jumping. I, I couldn't train properly. And so when the Olympics came, I, you know, it was, it was like a tsunami of pressure that I didn't react well to. Uh, two years later, because they, that's when they shifted the Olympics, um, they started switching the summer and winter um, instead of having them in the same year. So all of a sudden I was only two years away from another Olympics. And in that Olympics, I, I dropped the ball. I mean, I just dropped the ball. Right? There's, there's nothing more to be said about it. And I made bad decisions in the five minute warm up before my show program and set myself up for failure. So I've, I've had, you know, like incredible worldwide losses, but but standing on the podium in in Halifax, winning the world title in Canada, having 10 or 12,000 people single Canada for you, I've had highs too. So I think that when I speak to people, I can talk to them from both points of view. Um, you know, someone like Scott Hamilton, he, he has cancer and, and, and in his life, and that's something that has made him stronger and made him a beacon of light and power for a lot of people. Um, you know, and so I, I feel that I also have had hard times, and it helps me relate to different people when I meet them.
0: And it seems to me that you worked harder because you weren't an Olympic champion.
1: I, I feel like I did because when I turned professional, Um, in Stars and Ice, this amazing tour that I've been a part of for 28 years. I'd look left and right, and everybody had a world um, title, but also an Olympic gold medal. I mean, 80% of the cast were Olympic gold medalists, and I didn't have a medal of any color. Like, I'm not even a bronze. So I I always worked really, really hard to to bring diversity to my programs and to try to challenge myself, and I never wanted to shy away from that extra step to make a program interesting, whether it was including voiceover work or changing, having the whole song rewritten or having a, a box that opens and closed with remote control. Like I, I didn't hold back. And, and why would I? Much fun trying to entertain people.
0: When we come back, Kurt Browning makes figure skating history. This is in conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line, info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation. We're with Kurt Browning, world champion four times, uh, and a man who entered the record books for an incredible reason. Kurt Browning, thanks for joining us in conversation. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Can we go back again in time? Just one more time. I want to go back to 1988, the World Championships in Budapest. What happened?
1: Okay, it's a, it's a fun story. Because it, it changed my life <laughs> uh, for the better. Um, leading up to that, I saw Brian Boitano, um, the famous US skater, um, on an outdoor oh. rink in Europe and he did the quad um so i I want everyone to know there was four or five or six guys in the world doing the quads at that time joseph sababchuk did it in competition but he landed on two feet and they they decided not to ratify it not to justify it so in, in in a weird way i think joseph was really the first guy to do it in competition but um the lucky guy was me who ended up with the real title so anyways i saw brian botana land it i went home and i I practiced it by myself late at night at the Royal Goal Club in Edmonton until I kind of, after, uh, I don't know how many days, four or five days, I sort of had control of it and then I showed it to my coach. And uh, and so that's how I started, because I thought, I didn't want anyone to make fun of me. Why are you trying a quad? Who do you think you are to get to do a quad? Somehow I just thought, I'm gonna try this by myself. Then Michael, uh, Michael Barnett, who was famously Wayne Gretzky's agent, met me and he said, if you can do this jump, I'll get you an Audi Quattro car. Now being a young man without a car, I was highly motivated. Um, So I asked my coach, Michael Duranik if I could move the jump to the beginning of the program. And if I could land it, I'm gonna get this car from that guy over there. So Wayne Gretzky's agent promised me a car, I promised him a jump (laughs) and I met him halfway. And um, once they ratified it, um, he came through, and I had that car for six months before they took it away. And <laughs> I, I think but that, it was six great months.
0: I can imagine, and I think that just for the sake of of listeners who are maybe not as familiar with the language of skating, a quadruple this was a quadruple toe loop, so that meant four revolutions. Is that right in the air?
1: Yeah, four revolutions, and, and at the time, I'm, like you said, and nobody was really doing it that often. Brian Boitano, Brian Orser, Joseph Subacic, um, there was a, a German fellow as well. But there was uh, not too many people doing it, Peter Barna. Even Michael Slipchuk in Canada was able to do it. We, we were a small group, um, and then it was kind of like, I, I can remember thinking back then, this is kind of like trying to race across the Atlantic on an airplane. Who's going to do it first? Like, who's going to be the first? Um, and it was an exciting time, gotta tell you. And and look at, at least, I don't know thirty million years later, we're still talking about it. Yeah, kind of cool. And
0: I watched The Viz uh, just moments ago while I was doing research for this interview. you over- skinny, huh? Yeah, it was, <laughs> and a lot of hair. I've got to say, you know, a lot of hair. <laughs> but <laughs> you're you're still a beautiful man today. Uh, the quad toe loop, yeah. you over- you're landing, you over rotate it, so. You, were you, did you know that you were successful at that moment while you were still on the ice?
1: No. When I came down on the jump, I, I think, to be honest, I think I was just a little off balance or just trying to be careful to land it. And being careful doesn't work in most sports, actually, and it certainly doesn't work in mine. And so I did what we call a three-turn, which basically is I landed on the right foot, then I, I turned to forward and then turned to backwards. So I just did a little turn on one foot. And so after I did that turn, I was so mad because I I thought they weren't going to count it. And um, so I skated the rest of the program kind of like angry. And then I I heard my teammates, they were down by the boards and they were screaming, Elizabeth Manley, I remember that, she won the silver in in the Olympics in 88, she was screaming over the boards during the last minute of my program and I thought, why are they so excited (laughs) And so while I'm finishing my program, I'm thinking, well, maybe they think that I landed it. It was like this interesting program where I was mad and I was wondering, and is there a chance, and then I can't remember how long after I finished skating, they told me that they, they confirmed it. Um, but it bugged me about that three-turn, and so I, I wanted so badly to make sure that I landed a clean one as quickly as I could before anyone else so that in my heart I did know that I was the first one. so i skate Canada in October that year. I, I landed one, and... Um, and it was nice and clean. So I felt pretty. I felt better about that.
0: It's interesting. All of the things that you've done in your life, not all of them last very long, not all of them very s- successful, and some of them enormously successful. What keeps you grounded? Who do you turn to for support, for emotional support?
1: Well, when I was young, it was a great set of parents. Um, my siblings, Dina and Wade, have been nothing but supportive of me and my career. Um, and during the hard times, like never a moment of, of uh, jealousy, always support, 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 um, because my life was like bouncing from one exciting thing to the next, and I was just trying to keep up. And, um, and I, su- I suppose the support uh, for the hard times kind of came from you know, my coaches, but, but also from the sport itself, great friendships, and, um, and you know, like my dad, Dewey, he would say, at the end of your work day, people clap. Hmm. He goes, how great is that? He goes, well, I finish work and put the tools in the back of the truck and drive home. You know, nobody claps I, when, I, when i So true. <laughs> so, uh, as far as being grounded, um, my parents were probably, yeah, I'm assuming I was grounded. Um, you know, hopefully I was and still am, but um, they were great that way. My dad once told me that. Every audience that that watches us skate um, didn't just show up magically, that every single person in that 10,000 group had to decide to be there, that they had to carve, and that was the word he used, carve time out of their lives, to be there, find money in their pocket to pay for parking, for the ticket, for the food, for the popcorn, for the beer, whatever it might be, and decide to sit there and watch you skate. Hmm. So don't screw up.
0: That's humbling, isn't it? That really is quite yeah, humbling. Yeah, so yeah.
1: I never never take a, an audience, whether it's 10 people or 10,000 for granted, after that speech from my father.
0: Wow. Let's fast forward to today. You've got two amazing boys. You uh, live right next door to your ex-wife. Both of you have moved mm-hmm. on and, and, and you've created this wonderful nest for your, your sons. What... what what kind of leadership do you show them? You know your father obviously was a great influence on you and on your life. What kind of influence are you having over your amazing boys?
1: Um, well, if you want to talk about the word of humbling, I think being a parent is incredibly humbling because I don't know too many parents that think they've done it all right, you know that they um you know even the fact that that the the marriage didn't make it, um that you know that Sonia and I um, you know didn't make it to the finish line of, of whatever that uh, vow says you will. It was incredibly disappointing. And, and, and you know, and you think, well, I, I was the skater who had some fantastic achievements and I've and, and had a great career, but is that important compared to being uh, a good husband or father or, you know, those things? So, yeah, there's, there's incredible things that happen to us in life, but it ha- what you realize quickly, it happens to everybody. And, and so that, you know, when, when I was having those really hard times in my life and I would talk to friends or, and they'd be like, yeah, me too. I'm like, really? And I'm like go, oh, yeah, she was moved out for two years. And, and, uh, and I said, I didn't know. And he goes, well, nobody really knew, but we're back good now. So it was a very incredible, humbling time. And the fact that Sonia and I do live right beside each other, we vacation together. we still all four of us get in the car and go to the cottage for the weekend together. And, you know, and, and her, her boyfriend and my girlfriend, we all get along. And it's, it's uh, I think if I've taught my children anything, it's, um, you know, it's forgiveness. And, and when I use the word forgiveness, I don't mean for anyone else. I, I kind of mean for myself, like the, the ability to make mistakes and then move on. and And to allow life to happen around you like a stone in the stream, you know, the stream goes around you. And uh, and I hope that that's what my kids take from this. And they see that Sonia and I love each other very much and that the four of us are a family and that we're tight. And I think that that's going to be something that they hopefully can use for the rest of their lives.
0: Hmm. Do do the boys skate? Does either Gabriel or Dylan figure skate?
1: Um, Gabriel did. Um, and he, he I knew right away it probably wasn't going to be in the cards for Gabriel because when he fell as a little tiny guy, he just laid there and did snow. <laughs> angels and crawled and flipped around. And he's way more interested in um, acting and performing. So he definitely got that gene from mom and dad. Um, and then Dylan did skate a little bit longer. He got most of his double jumps and I had so much fun watching him. He was the only kid on the ice with red velvet skates, So he, uh, red velour skate, so he was easy to find. <laughs> and he's a dancer like his mom, so he's got good moves. But now Gabriel's is gonna be going to York University for acting, directing, who knows what direction he wants to go in. And uh, Dylan's becoming a little boxer, of all things. So you never know where your kids are going to take you. Yeah, but you're
0: leading them well, as is Sonia. So, Kurt, would you roll with me on this one? I'm just going to play a little bit of music, and then I want you to tell me what it means to you. All right, so here is the, <laughs> here is the music. Hold on. I'm singing in the rain Just singing in the rain What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again So, Singing in the Rain, what does that song mean to you?
1: A gift. Um, If I had one word, it would be gift, because uh, we were doing a TV special (laughs) a long, 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 back when I had hair a long time ago, (laughs) and um, I was asked at the end of this big meeting by John Brunton from Inside Productions, he asked this one wild question he said if there's anything you'd ever want to do in skating but it's impossible what would it be and everyone else in the room stared at me and i thought how do you answer that question and then i just it, it just came into me my mom and i sitting on the couch watching singing in the rain and i thought well that would be fun but how am i ever going to skate in the rain and um he turned around to his assistant or to the next person beside him and he just said make it rain so in that tv special we filmed the very first original version of singing in the rain. And then I think 20 or 25 years later, I finally turned it into a live version using the same costume. And that it's been a gift to, you know, to act like Gene Kelly who fell in love that night and, and to just move like he did in that costume with the umbrella. Um, every once in a while in a long career, you get a gift. And that's what that one was.
0: Wow. Will you include that in stars on ice when, that amazing show returns next spring.
1: Uh, no, because I've already skated that program in Stars and Ice, and I and I I do occasionally pull programs back um, and do them again. But I think, and if I ever really know, because I think that I've retired in my mind, at least not publicly, but in my mind, I've retired at least twice already. <laughs> Um, but if I really, really know that it's the end, then maybe there'll be some kind of a montage thing that I would do, and, and definitely singing the rain would be a part of that.
0: You and I have many parallels in our lives, let me tell you. Uh, so I also want to ask you about your television commercials. You know, you 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 have your hands in in your fingers in many pies, if you will. The television commercial for Chip Reverse Mortgage—it's mm-hmm. great. What made you decide to do that?
1: Um, well, working with Home Equity, um, well, they, they just approached me and I didn't really know that much about what a reverse mortgage was. And, and I just, I had a meeting with um, Yvonne, who has now become a good friend of mine. And I really liked her energy. And I said, look, I, I, I would like to do this, but I would like to use this as a chance to make a donation to my um, skating rink that I grew up in and is now the Kirk Browning Arena in Caroline, Alberta. And she said, oh, that's interesting. I said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in what this does for people. And so she explained it all to me and, and it seemed all, all great and, and it would help people. And so we did it. And then we made that fantastic donation to the Crip Arena. And I got to work with Donald Jackson, who was mm. world champion for Canada. Yes. He's one of my heroes. Yeah. And, and I got to work with my two young boys in the commercials as well. And the whole experience was wonderful. Um, and then, um, home equity has come back recently and said, let's do another series of commercials. And, um, and this time I, I was sort of dealing a little tiny bit with the, uh, the negative connotation that comes with a reverse mortgage that I didn't really understand the first time around that much. So every once in a while, um, you know, you get a little negative feedback, but generally speaking as a figure skater. It, it's always positive. It's like, I love your skating. You know, my mom loves your skating or whatever it is. But having people walk up to me and say, I can't believe you're selling out and doing reverse mortgage commercials, yeah. that has been a new experience. Yeah. So it yeah. has been always easy because I think, especially in the United States, um, there's a history of people who have been misunderstanding the product. I mean, it's a, it's a bank loan, you know, and bank loans get paid back. So there's all sorts of things in the world where certain people, um, you know, like there's jokes about car salesmen and they, they lie to you or, or the contractor that comes and does things to your house that you didn't need doing or the mechanic at the store. I mean, there's all sorts of reputations out there that um, certain will, will do it and then that puts a shadow on the rest of, the, of that um, job, Mark. Kurt Browning. World
0: champion figure skater, highly decorated Canadian athlete, entertainer, sports commentator, TV commercial spokesperson, and, in my view, just a really down-to-earth guy. Are you happy? Uh, Just
1: a a failed, and also remember, I'm also a failed hair club for men (laughs) member.
0: Well, are you happy where you are today?
1: I am. I've got, um, you know, I've got a few more years where I run a skate, um, and I want to be able to. Uh, stay, you know, viable out on the ice. And and uh, stars and ice was going to happen in October, but COVID canceled that. And so I'm looking forward to spring of 22 to try and get out on the ice and and uh, share the ice with uh, newcomers like a large ball and and um, and being able to experience even another new generation of skating. I'm I'm a, a co-owner of a company um, that uh, has a fitness product, and it's called IsoFit. And uh, very near in the future, I'm going to be you know, um, sort of a public figure and coming out and finding ways to be a, a bigger have a bigger role in that company and and it's all about isometric exercise. So I think it's really gonna be good for the aging population or anybody who wants to be healthy and spell I might as well spell it I S O P H I T. ISOFIT. ISO So that's gonna be if you see me, you know, doing things in the future that are off ice, it'll be involved with exercise.
0: What a pleasure it has been getting to know you a little better. In Conversation. Thank you, Kurt Browning.
1: Anne, you've always been so cool, and you will never stop being cool, and it's so much fun to get reacquainted with you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.